welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, I wanna to ask you, what do you need to be convinced about? give you something to think about. Everything outside of bodily functions, you had to be taught. It's kind of a crazy thing to wrap our heads around and consider, isn't it? That everything, even the things that we take for granted, like holding a spoon or adding two plus two or being able to write your name, you had to be intentionally taught. It took the time and effort of someone who loved you or at the very least, like a boss may not love you, but was willing to invest in you. It took their time and intention, often without anything that they got back in return. Well, the same is true when it comes to sin, morality, righteousness. Just like we have to be taught all of the things that we naturally do, we have to be taught what those things are as well. We must be taught right for, from wrong. We must be taught what the standard of God is, which is different than the standard of the world, cosmos, the ordered system of things, world, as well as what intuitively our sin nature would tell us is right or wrong. We are all born with a default mode that we will kind of just walk through life with if we don't intentionally learn the ways of God. And so turn with me to John 16 verses 1 to 15. John 16 verses 1 to 15. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground today. And if you don't have a Bible, you can head over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And there are some apps there you can download as well as a form. If you would like a paper Bible, we'd be happy to get you one. Here we go. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the father or me. I have told you this, that when the hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Let's pray. 
So God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray, Spirit of Truth, as we've just read about, that you would guide us into truth this morning. That you would reveal um, what you're talking about here in your word as we dig deeper. And that you would help us to live in a way that really does look more and more like you. Or live in a way that is righteous. We love you. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you allow my own words, they're just born of, of my own ideas, would you just allow those to float away? Holy Spirit, we want to speak, listen to you speak this morning in your precious name. Amen. We're going to pull this passage apart a bit and kind of scramble it up and put it back together. Because as we have said so many times here, we have the beautiful luxury of having the complete Bible. We know what is coming just for us, chapters down, days, weeks, months for the disciples and for Jesus. And so they wouldn't have had that when they were listening to Jesus speak. And John, as he was writing these words, also wouldn't have had the complete canon, the complete Bible. He would have had the Old Testament scrolls and, and the things written by the prophets, but they wouldn't have had this. And so we're going to start at the very beginning, as Maria from The Sound of Music tells us. It's a very good place to start. And we're going to kind of put some flesh onto some of these statements that Jesus makes so that we can understand them um, a little bit fuller for our own context. And we're going to try and put this in a bit of a linear path, although this beginning part is not linear. It's very confusing. I'm sorry. So to really understand these verses, we need to understand the context of what's happening around them and not just around them in the physical, but what's happening around them in the supernatural sense. What is going on? So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this war that's happening within each of us as we uh, kind of butt heads with the righteousness and the surrender to Jesus that we're being called to and our sin nature that wants to stay in charge. We've got that war happening within us, but we also have this war happening around us as Satan and the demons war with God and the angels for the souls of every human being. So why is this happening? What is going on here? Where does this war kind of come from? So let's, let's press pause. Let's rewind and let's go from there. So in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, there are a few places in scripture that give us um, the context that we need to understand this. So in Isaiah 14, it says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. So this is talking about Satan. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So Satan once was in heaven. He was one of the archangels and he desired to be greater than God. And so in this attempt to usurp control, to uh, make himself greater than God, Satan and the demons who followed him have been banished from heaven and their judgment has been already set. It's already been decided upon. And Matthew 25, 41 tells us that. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell, that 
judgment that we are going to receive at the end of time was never meant for us. That was a judgment predecided upon for Satan and the demons. So we know that at the end of the time here on earth, Satan and the demons are going to face judgment. But until that moment, they're free, in quotes, on this earth, <laughs> roaming around, trying to harm us, pull us away from God, not out of affection for us, but out of hatred for God. And 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we know all these things from the Bible. We know kind of the character of Satan, and it's one of hatred and destruction and deception. So we kind of both fast forward and rewind, again, this is not very linear, um, to Eden. And we see Adam and Eve in the perfection of Eden and they're in perfect relationship with God. And who slithers into the picture? Satan, the father of lies, as John calls him in John 8. And Eve and then Adam give in to the deception of what um, Satan whispers into their ear about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they eat this fruit that was forbidden for them to eat. And God finds them as they realize that they're naked, as the natural consequences of their decision are coming into play, God finds them. And in Genesis 3, it tells us, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And this is an act of mercy. God promises that a Redeemer is going to come and he's going to make right all that has been broken in this moment. He's going to restore everything that was to its perfection at the end of this time that Jesus is going to come on the scene and he's going to repair that relationship between God and man. He's going to make sure that this brokenness that Adam and Eve are living in at this moment because they've eaten from that tree because they didn't follow the commands of God. He's going to make sure that it's not permanent by sending them out of the garden. And from that moment on, the knowledge of both good and evil has lived inside the soul of every single person. So when we talk about sin nature, as you might have heard us talking about here, that's what we mean. This knowledge of what is good and evil is now awakened and alive within the soul of every human being. Now, we are still created in the image of God. We are still image bearers of God. And so we do have that awareness of what is good and right. But because of that rebellion, because of that disobedience, we also have the awareness of what is evil and wrong. And now <laughs> we have this war within us of how our sin nature wants to stay in control wants to do what is best for me alone. And this call to surrender, as we were designed to, to the Lordship of God, to surrender in relationship with him. 
And so we're aware of all of these broken things. We just have to look around us to see the places and the people that are hurting to be made really aware that we have this war within us. But worse yet, the father of lies, who is Satan, again, John 8, John talks about him in this term. He is the master manipulator. And he's so good at twisting and just deceiving us just a little bit in ways that take what is harmful and make it seem helpful. It takes what is vile and makes it seem appealing. The father of lies takes what's going to lead to death and destruction and he makes it appear like it's going to be the ultimate thrill. Like life is not going to be lived in fullness unless we try that. And so Jesus repeats this warning here for us again, that there's this real battle happening. And I'm going to tell you these things, that this war is happening around you that you can't see, but you can sense because it's alive within you. So you're not going to be surprised when you reap the repercussions of it. When bad things happen to you because of this war, you're not going to be surprised. You're going to look to me rather than run away. I'm telling you this, that you're going to be prepared. And he promises the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the called in one, the advocate. And this speaks to the first function of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks here. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've asked Jesus to forgive those places, that sin nature, that brokenness within you, then you've actually already experienced this first function that we're, we've been talking about of the Holy Spirit. So let's unpack this part and we're going to get to another function today too. So strap in. We've got a little bit of ground to cover. So when he comes, verse 8, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. When Lucas and I were first married, uh, we were driving to a conference in Kelowna and Lucas was the driver and I was the navigator and I was certain that I knew the way to Kelowna. Like, I don't really know why I hadn't been to Kelowna very often, but I was certain I knew the way. This was also before the days of GPS, like this was paper map days. So the turnoff to Kelowna was I was certain on the other side of Kamloops. So we just had to get through Kamloops. We were driving from uh, Surrey. We just had to get through Kamloops and we would see all the signs. I was certain. I was so sure about it. Like I would have bet money on it. So different signs would come up saying that they were going to Kelowna and Lucas would be like, you're sure that's not our turnoff? I'd be like, no, 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 keep going. And over and over, <laughs> he'd like question me, like, you're really sure we're going the right way. You're sure we don't need to turn off here. And every time I'd be like, no, you got to trust me. I know where we're going. I am so certain of it until we got to Salmon Arm. <laughs> we were just outside of Salmon Arm and we were like, we have definitely missed the turn off. And I admitted defeat. We were lost. Those signs that we had passed that I was so certain weren't our signs, were indeed the right way to go. But in my certainty, I didn't even look twice. In my certainty, I was so quick to dismiss them as being the wrong way, even though they were actually the right direction. 
And Jesus is making that statement here as he talks about the function or the role of the Holy Spirit. He's saying in the certainty of human nature, in our sinful nature, we are going to be so sure of what is right and wrong. And we're going to have decided apart from a creator God, what is good and what is evil, that it's all going to be twisted. And you might have hints of things that are good because we are image bearers of the creator God, but it's all going to get twisted. And you're going to think, you're going to be so certain that you're going the right direction, but you're really getting lost. You passed the right way and you didn't spare it a second glance. Marvin Vincent, who's a Greek language commentator, wrote about uh, some of the Greek phrases used in these verses. And he said, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict it, the world, of ignorance of their real nature. And the Holy Spirit here, it's talking about a convincing, a convincing of the sin that we all have deemed to be acceptable, of our, our independence, of the fact that we don't really feel like we need a redeemer or something to save us. We don't really feel like we've done that much to be wrong. See, the knowledge of good and evil, it's inside every human being thanks to our design. But that sin nature has been hijacked by the ethics and the morality of our world. Again, world being cosmos, the order of things. We're not um, looking suspiciously or accusatorily at the people around us that they have hijacked us. But our sin nature has been hijacked by the ethics and morality of our world. And that world is being govern at the moment by Satan, the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, apart from Jesus, we actually can't know good and evil, what's true and what's deception. If we don't have that absolute truth, that absolute standard to follow. We can give it our best guess, but likely we're going to be passing the way we should go in our certainty that we're on the right path. And then we're going to be ignorant of how deceived we really are. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in because that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is not to keep us stuck in our deception. The heart of God isn't to allow us to stay apart from him. The heart of God is that every single person would come into a relationship with him, that no one would be lost, that no one would have to join the judgment of Satan and the demons, but that every single person would be saved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit steps in here to convince us of our sin, to convince us of our need for a savior and to guide us to the truth of Jesus. And we're gonna jump over righteousness for a moment. We're gonna come back to it because this sin and the judgment are connected. And he will convince us about judgment 
because the prince of this world now stands condemned. If we're in ignorance of our sin, how much more will we be in ignorance of this moment? I mean, just think of the things that you've been told about God. We've been told things like all roads lead to heaven. We've been told things like all gods are actually the same God. It's just how humanity connects with them. We've just given them different names. We've been told things like, well, as long as you're just a good person, you're going to be fine. We've been told things like, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter. There's nothingness. You just drift off to sleep. And unfortunately, those are not true. They might be things that make us feel good or feel better, but they're not true. And so we stand condemned even if we don't realize it. Our ignorance isn't going to save us because that sin nature within us requires a redeemer. That brokenness within us requires someone to restore us back to what we were designed for. The Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin, but he also brings us face to face with the consequences of it. See, once we're aware of our sin, we need to decide what we're going to do with it. Are we content to keep walking in it and in doing so, walking in rebellion towards God? Or once we're convinced of our sin that we're going the wrong way, Will we U-turn and surrender to Jesus and allow him to take over and to lead and guide our lives? What are we going to do with our sin once we're convinced of it? D.A. Carson writes, The need for conviction of this false judgment is all the more urgent. The world is condemned already and in desperate need to learn of its plight. Let me go back for a moment. See, that judgment, again, was never meant for us. The A plan was that we would be in perfect relationship with God, and that judgment moment would be for Satan and the demons that backed him in his quest to usurp God alone. That is what hell was created for. Satan's not lording over hell. You're not being given over to him. Satan is going to be in judgment in hell. But in that moment in Eden, when Adam and Eve, they trusted the cunning of Satan over the command of God, all humanity, because of that sin nature that was awakened within us, joined him in his fate. Satan is condemned, but we don't have to be. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to take on that punishment, to appease the justice of God, to make a way to restore and redeem that which was broken within us way back before we even drew a breath. Through Jesus, we don't have to stand condemned. We can choose forgiveness. We can choose salvation. We can choose life when we choose him. So the Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin and then he gives us the choice. He brings us face to face with the consequences of both decisions. Will we choose to continue to drive the wrong way? Knowing that there's a cost to pay at the end. 
or will we choose to allow Jesus to restore and redeem? There's a cost to pay here and now as we give up control, as we surrender to him. And that brings us back to righteousness. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. See, we're still in this section where John is using this legal language and these legal arguments that remind us of this moment with this function of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the ways that the Holy Spirit is going to function in the good of those who are far from God. So he's going to convince the world, uh, individuals within the world, not the world order of things, of the error of their ways of thinking about sin and judgment and about righteousness. So he's talking about how he's going to declare himself to be the benchmark of righteousness so that those who are far from God can find Jesus through the convincing, through the spirit-to-spirit -spirit work of the Holy Spirit as he works in the lives pursuing those who are far from God. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be critical in this in convincing the world about righteousness because they can't see Jesus anymore. Like Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We know all that through scripture. We don't see him anymore. I mean, we can't walk into a room and there's Jesus hanging out drinking a coffee. That doesn't happen. And so we need the Holy Spirit to be the one who reveals Jesus to us, who helps us to see what that standard of righteousness is that we can now walk out and look more and more like. D.A. Carson, his commentary was just on point as I was studying for this sermon. So here's another quote from D.A. Carson. The point is that Jesus was the paradigm, the model of behavior, the master who was to be followed. Now the paraclete so empowers them, taking from what is mine and making it known to you that they continue to follow Jesus and thus convict the world of its empty righteousness. Again, this moment, this paraclete verbiage is talking about the function of the Holy Spirit to those who are far from God, drawing them towards him. And so we have this role to play this partnership with him in terms of righteousness. And righteousness is a funny thing because it's an unattainable goal. We can never look exactly like Jesus. Well, it is also the path that we're on so that we can be walking in ever-increasing righteousness. That's why we say in our mission statement that we want to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith, receive his love, and look more and more like Jesus each day. It's a path of ever-increasing righteousness. It's a fancy way of just saying that we're trying to live free from sin or in perfect right standing with God. We know that that's impossible. We can never live completely free from sin. I mean, I made it to breakfast today. I'm sure I sinned a dozen times. We cannot do that. We can't live free from sin, but we can look more and more like Jesus. We can sin less and less. And so our goal isn't perfection. Our goal is progress. Our goal is to be increasing in righteousness, to look more and more like Jesus each day and less and less like the world, cosmos, the order of things each day. Why? Because this is our witness. Our lives combined with our testimony, like Pastor Marcus shared last week, are going to 
declare the difference Jesus makes in a life to the world, the individuals around us. And it's our part to play. The Holy Spirit is alive within us and he's doing what the Holy Spirit does as he convinces the world of their sin, as he convinces the world that there is a cost to that decision of, of judgment or eternal life. And he has that part to play in helping us to walk out righteousness so that by comparison, when we stand, the righteousness of God beside the righteousness of cosmos, the world, the, the order, the system of things, it is going to look vastly different and one is going to be proven empty and futile. This is the function of the paraclete, the advocate, who draws men and women to Jesus. And we are invited to partner with him in this beautiful, beautiful invitation to be part of the greatest miracle of seeing people find Jesus. And then Jesus switches gears on us and he goes from paraclete to pneuma. And pneuma is another word for the Holy Spirit. If you ever heard of pneumatology, it's just the theology surrounding the Holy Spirit. Um, that's just the extension of pneuma, the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna just kind of maybe make this a simpler idea because we see all these different words and, and it can get really confusing. We've been given so many different titles for the Holy Spirit already. And so how do we put all of these together? Well, I am Lisa. I am also mom. I'm also wife. I'm also daughter, sister, friend, cousin, niece, granddaughter. You can go on and on. I'm the same person. I haven't changed. The core of who I am, my own values, identity, um, my likes and dislikes, my temperament, my personality, all of that is unchanging. It's just that's the nature of who I am. But I function in different ways based on my title, right? I'm not gonna go to my brother, who's an adult with children of his own, and be like, okay, it's bedtime. Do you need a snack? You're a little grumpy. Maybe we should talk about an attitude adjustment. Like, I'm not gonna do any of that because he's an adult and I'm his sister. I mean, my job is to annoy him and check in on him and support him, right? Like, that's, that's the function of a sister. So my function as mom is gonna look vastly different than my function as wife, than my function as friend, than my function as sister. I haven't changed, but how I operate in the different relationships that I'm in, in the different roles that I'm in, will. And so when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, and it is a he, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a cosmic energy or a force or like there are so many wonky things that we think about the Holy Spirit. He is a person with different functions and roles, very similar to like how we would operate in different functions and roles. I also wanna quickly clarify and clear up the fact that the Holy Spirit wasn't waiting on the sidelines for Jesus to disappear so he could come. Throughout history, the Godhead has operated in perfect unity together, like all through the Old Testament. Um, they've been together operating at the same time. So it's not like uh, one comes, they change form, leave a different form of the Godhead comes. So 
The Godhead, the Trinity is super, super confusing. We're not going to do anything deep on it here. It is very confusing. But sometimes we can treat the Holy Spirit as kind of the least of the Godhead. And so I want to clear this up. The Trinity has always been completely unified and operating together <laughs> as one. And so the Holy Spirit speaks what he hears from Jesus, just as Jesus spoke what he heard from the Father. Or as we've talked about before, this mutual heartbeat. They are perfectly united. So it's not like one is over shadowing or speaking over what the other one would actually want to say. They're one, they speak the same. So as the Holy Spirit speaks, revealing Jesus, as Jesus revealed the Father, they're all revealing themselves. So confusing because the Trinity is, um, but the Holy Spirit isn't like the lowest on the totem pole in terms of hierarchy. Okay, clear as mud? Probably not, that's okay. You can email me if you have questions. I'd love to answer them in more detail than we can get into right here. So verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak, or he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so Jesus again swaps the Greek word from parakletos to uh, pneuma. And in doing so, he changes the subject of the teaching. Remember, our roles change based on the relationship of who's standing in front of us. And so as the advocate, as the called in one, the Holy Spirit was leading those far from God into the revelation of who Jesus is and what that looks like played out in their lives of redemption, restoration, and righteousness. But now as Numa, he's bringing those of us who do know Jesus, who have already surrendered to him deeper into truth. And I love how the verb used here is into truth. That there's this truth that has always existed. Jesus just, or the Holy Spirit isn't just guiding us in the, in the right way to go. He's walking us into something that always has been. It's this discovery of what always was there. And so the Holy Spirit reveals the heart of God to us. He reveals Jesus to us. And as Jesus said, he reveals more than Jesus was able to. And that's like not some super spiritual thing, but when Jesus was talking, he hadn't yet died and been resurrected and been ascended into heaven. Like those things in history hadn't yet occurred. And so the Holy Spirit does reveal more than Jesus was able to reveal as he authors the rest of the Bible. And we have all of that that we didn't have when Jesus walked on the face of the earth. And so Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals to us now how we relate to God in a post-crucifixion, resurrection, ascension way. How do we live now as Christ followers? How do we live as Christians in the here and now? The Holy Spirit reveals that to us. And of course, we do have some kind of guidelines on what is to come. But the Holy Spirit is the one who still today makes this 
book, the Bible, the word of God come alive and he guides us into what has always been there. We're not finding out truth that is new for this moment. We're finding absolute truth, the standard of life that has always been there. And the Holy Spirit is our guide into the truth that can only be found in God himself. And so the more that Jesus is talking about is truth that has always existed in the perfect holiness of God, but was beyond what he was able to share based on their current moment in history. And so the Holy Spirit still to this day is the one who for those who know Jesus guides us deeper and deeper into righteousness. He's the one that still convinces us of our sin, who still brings us to the foot of the cross and says, okay, let's work on this, who still convinces us of the coming judgment, the urgency that we have to share the life and hope that we've found with the world around us, regardless of the consequences. All that we know, we were taught it's a humbling reality. I mean, if you think about the things that we just think we know, it is humbling to know that somebody had to actually take time to teach us that, right? Like using a spoon. It is humbling. And this should be equally as humbling. The fact that the Holy Spirit had to teach us how to have a relationship with God that the Holy Spirit had to teach us what our sin looked like should be equally as humbling in case we start to get a little big for our britches. And you know what? Sometimes we do. In case we forget what life was like when we too were ignorant in our sin and we forget righteousness and we pick up self-righteousness. It's a humbling reality that we need as a bit of a pride check because it's not our victory it's not our knowledge it's the holy spirit in us ephesians 2 8 to 10 says for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of god not by works that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For those of us who have heard the voice of the advocate, the paraclete, who have chosen to surrender to Jesus as we were convinced of our sin, we have work to do. We have a responsibility to walk out our faith in that ever-increasing righteousness that comes from being in relationship with God, of staying connected to the vine, like Pastor Lucas preached about a few weeks ago. We have that responsibility to look more and more like Jesus each day as he rubs off on us, but we also have the responsibility to continue to walk that out in gentleness and humility, knowing that but for the grace of God, we too would still be stuck in our ignorance, that we too would still be bound by chains of sin. In case we wanna like rail and take over the Holy Spirit's job, it's not ours. But time is short and the need is great 
And so each one of us needs to count the cost. Because again, this warning is, don't be surprised when those who even in the name of God feel like killing you is the right thing. Don't be surprised. Don't run away. We need to count the cost because time is short and the need is great. But the Holy Spirit is greater. And He, our advocate and our guide, the Spirit of truth, is the one who, if we will allow Him, will guide and direct us so that as He does what only He can do in our lives and in the lives of those around us, will allow us to be partners with Him in sharing the truth that Jesus makes a difference in a life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in you, that you are our redeemer, that you restore that which was broken, that you find that which was lost. We thank you for the hope that's found in the cross, that because you died, we can have a perfect relationship with God. And so this morning, if there are those who are on the other side of this screen, who have yet to choose you, who have yet to surrender, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak and you would pursue. And, and just as you do so with so much love and gentleness as one who desires a relationship with us, that you would, um, that you would create that relationship right now. And for those of us that know you, I pray that you would guide us deeper and deeper into righteousness of looking more and more like you, that through the testimony of our lips and the testimony of our lives, they would line up to show the world the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And that when the righteousness of your people stand beside the righteousness of the cosmos, the world, they would be starkly different. And that hope and life and joy would be found in you alone. We love you. Thank you for your words this morning in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lisa, for leading us through that message. And as we continue through this Gospel of John series, it's been such a great uh, series for us to walk through. Well, I have just a couple announcements for you. The first one is Evangel Academy is happening tonight. This will be our third one. We're going to be jumping into 2 Corinthians together as we've journeyed through uh, what we're calling, calling Pauline Studies. So if you want to join us, you're welcome to. Um, it would have helped that you were at our first two, but if you haven't jumped into those ones, feel free to come anyways. Uh, we'll make sure we fill in any blanks that are there, but you're invited tonight to Evangel Academy, some concentrated discussion around God's word at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. Well guys, I have great news about our camp fundraising update. So about a month ago now, we uh, told you about a fundraiser for Nanus and how we're, we're, we're wanting to build some new uh, stairs for our dorm there and uh, some new basketball hoops, which is like the center of socialization there. Well, I'm so excited to say we've not only raised our $7,500 goal, but we've actually exceeded it. And so thank you so much for your generosity in making space for students to experience Jesus at camp. 
But friends, there are a lot of more ways that you can get involved at camp, uh, more kind of in the late spring and in the summer as we run camp. And so if you want more information on that, please go to myevangel.church forward slash camp, and it'll give you all the ways that you can get involved with camp. But thank you so much uh, for being generous and for uh, allowing students to have a little bit of a revitalized camp. Well, we have GrowTrack coming up next week, right after the service. So GrowTrack is a place to discover your design, to find your fit here at Evangel and also just in the world. And so we would love to invite you to that. The first one, 101, is happening next week, right after the service. So if you're watching online uh, and you wanna come to that, feel free to like either come in person and join us at 10 a.m. or uh, simply just come for GrowTrack, but we wanna see you there. And then we just want to let you know that our offices are actually closed this week, speaking of Nanus, uh, because our staff is going to be there doing some inventory. Uh, we're going to be doing some pre-camp preparations, and so we're going to be gone for this whole week, and so our offices will be closed. Uh, so thank you so much for allowing us to get away and kind of do some camp preparation. And then finally, if you want to give uh, to the everyday work that we do here at Evangel, we would so appreciate uh, your giving and your faithfulness in that. And so if you want to partner with us financially, go to myevangel.church forward slash give, and it will give you all the ways that you can do that. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.